Great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we are talking about it because you rightly said that lots of such stories uh, doesn't go under the hashtag digital nomadsman. If you check on Instagram or anywhere, like yeah. people just positive stories of uh, digital nomad porn, I would say on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining. I'm really excited to hear your story. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. I think this. And how, how do you pronounce your name? Is it Nienke? It's so funny. It's with everyone I have this, but I also ask the question back. So my name is pronounced as Ninka. Ninka. Okay. All right. Okay. But it sounds like if you read it, a lot of people would say Nyanke. Um, and then, but just to make life easier, I'll go by Nina or Ninka Nina. Yeah. And what about your name? Because I wasn't sure also how to pronounce it. Yeah, it's it's sort of. All right, cool. So welcome to our podcast episode. And I would first like to start off with some quick questions uh, just to get to know you a little bit better. So how long have you been nomading? Hey Nina, it's been 11 years now. I started in 2009, so it's been 11 years. Wow, that's so long. And where was your first nomad location? Well, the first time I started traveling, that was in Europe. I was living in the eastern part of Italy and I took a Euro trip. Cool. And at this time, you were, while you were traveling, you were working online? Exactly. I mean, I was, that was the time when I was working remotely for, uh, for a business. I was not working for myself, but I was completely location independent. That's so awesome that that is 11 years ago. Are you nomading with your partner? Well, uh, my wife, she has not been joining me on all my adventures. At times, I've been traveling solo as well as sometimes with my dad or my brother or my wife, but uh, they're not always with me. So my wife, at times she joins me. She don't want to join me on all my travels. All right. Well, that's fair. What is it that you're doing right now to sustain your nomad lifestyle? Well, running internet businesses. I'm into micro SaaS. I'm into hospitality, content design, as well as community business. All right. So it, it varies uh, very much. Why do you choose to live a nomad lifestyle? Well, um, I feel like it gives you enough freedom and flexibility to live the life the way you want to. Uh, I really want to have freedom of location, freedom of the ability to work, I think, as well as financial freedom. And this lifestyle provides me the triangle of freedom I see. All right. So today we're going to talk about digital nomad nightmares. I'm pretty sure that our listeners can imagine of some sort of horrible stuff that can happen while you're traveling. You can lose your suitcase, but even worse, you can lose your passport or get really, really ill in certain countries. You can get robbed. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. And your laptop can die. I saw things happening. I'm lucky enough that not a lot of shit happened to me yet. So today we're going to talk about one of these massive nightmares that happened to you. Can you introduce your nightmare? Sure. So what I see is that no matter how much you plan your travel, I mean, travel is so much unpredictable and six out of the seven day, you can go as per the plan, but seventh day will be a nightmare. I mean, things just goes off the track. So it's parcel of travel and a lot of things did happen in the last 11 years. Think about nightmares, you talk about it and most of the things that could go wrong has gone wrong from losing my passports to losing my belongings, being almost deported. So yeah, lots of nightmares to share with you over here. Maybe we can start with the incident of losing my belongings and passport in 
Paris. It happened almost eight years ago. But yeah, that's one of the biggest nightmares I had during my journey. How did it happen? I'm sure that people who have been to uh, Paris, they would relate to it. So I was in uh, Gare de Lyon and uh, you know how crowded it is. Just for a moment, I was looking somewhere else for a couple of seconds when I noticed, I realized that my stuff is gone uh, and it had all my camera gear, passport, my wallet. Easily I had things worth more than $5,000. It just in a moment, it was all gone. And I started freaking out because I was on a road trip. It was the first week of my trip itself. And this is not something I expected to happen. But then I uh, I looked around. Uh, the first thing I did was I had heard that uh, when things like this happen, many a times you will find your passport in the nearby garbage bin because people sometimes they take the valuables, but they leave the passport in the garbage bin. You know, oh, really? they, yes. <laughs> I heard about this from multiple people. So I started looking for my passport, at least in the nearby bins. And I searched for around 30, 45 minutes. I could not get anything. You know, I had to lodge FAR at the police station, then contact Indian embassy. Finally, I had to get a new passport. Then I had to apply for the visa again and continue my journey. But it also sounds like when you're going through that thing, you would just freak out. When you were trying to solve the situation, was it as easy as just going to the embassy or to the police station and then you just get a new passport? That's Not it? at all. It was not easy. That straightforward as I just told. First of all, it's like, even if you have heard of other people having a similar experience, if it happens to you, you know, especially when when you get robbed and when you get dropped of your passport something that gonna it's going to decide what to do next right it's going to be a difficult situation you will definitely freak out no matter how cool you are and uh, uh, I would say that the same thing happened with me for a couple of hours I had no idea what to do I had no idea whether I should go and lodge FAR in the police station does it make sense to contact embassy does it make sense to continue my trip or should I go back to India and just forget about the rest of the trip it's not an easy decision and often your mind stops working in a situation like that it's not something that you can instantly decide what to do next thankfully thing worked out in my favor and I decided to continue my journey. When I went to Indian embassy, I was first told that maybe you should take a travel card and go back to India and apply for a new passport. But I told them that I really want to continue my journey. I don't want to get back to India. Please issue me a new passport. So here's the thing people should keep in mind is that often embassy will give you the travel card, ask you to get back. But if you insist, then Mm -hmm. they have the power to issue you a new passport. I got my new passport within a day. And it was when I went there to collect, it was hot. It was like freshly printed. There's always room for negotiation. Yeah. So that helped. And I applied for my Schengen visa again. And I continued my journey. So that seems like that worked out pretty well. You also mentioned everything was gone. So how did you travel even to a police station? Or how did you know where an embassy was? Because did we have Google Maps eight years ago? I'm just thinking. Like eight years ago is so long ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Google Maps was there. It was not that popular. I was with my wife and luckily she had phone and belongings with her. Thankfully, because my wife was there with, with me, that was a big support. Well, thanks God for your wife then. You also mentioned close to being deported. What happened there? <laughs> yeah, that's a very unique experience. So uh, that was in Singapore. I was traveling in Southeast Asia, keeping Singapore as my base on a tourist visa. I was going for visa runs every month to explore other Can I just Southeast quickly Asia. say, if you travel in Asia, visa runs are very common. So you basically go in and out of or out and in of the country for either 24 hours or three days to kind of renew your visa. In Latin America, there's no such thing as visa runs because they have 
periods of the year or durations in a year that you can stay in the country. My Brazilian boyfriend had no clue what a visa run is. And I was talking like it, like it was a product at a grocery store. We said, oh, it's just do a visa run. <laughs> so that's the difference. It's mostly for Asia. Exactly. I mean, you very rightly put it. So, so yes, I got a Singapore visa, but it was valid for a year. But every month I had to go for the visa run. After spending a month in, uh, like I was just chilling at my brother's place and exploring Southeast Asia. So I spent one month in Singapore, then went to Philippines, spent there a couple of weeks, got back to Singapore, then went to Bali. And when I was flying back from Bali, I was denied entry into Singapore. I was surprised, like, why I'm not allowed to enter inside. And that's when there itself, I Googled and found out that there is a rule called U-turn policy. When you try to exit and come back to Singapore again and again, immigration officers, they have the right to deny you entry because you might be potential illegal immigrant and just making use of the tourist visa. They have all the right reason because Singapore is a small country and usually you would not use tourist visa to stay there for such a long time. Right. Yeah. So this I was not aware of. And in, in that situation, they just deny you entry. They ask you to get back to where you are coming from. So I was taken in the flight back to Bali. But then when I arrived Bali, I thought that, oh, I have explored that place. And I thought that, okay, fine. If I can't get back to Singapore, maybe I should fly back to India and then I should decide where to go next. Right. So I booked my flight ticket to India, but that was through Singapore. In the transit time, I could not get my flight to India. Man, I just missed it. When I missed that flight, I thought that, okay, let's take a second chance and try to get inside Singapore. Maybe this time it would work. And when I tried to get in, I, I told the immigration office that, okay, I missed my flight. Maybe I can spend a day in Singapore and the next day I can fly back to India. At first, they were like, okay, fine. It looks like you missed your flight and it's fine. You can enter inside, spend a day. Next day you have back to India. That's all right. But then they checked in their system that I'm the same guy who was denied entry yesterday. And they felt like this is something serious. Looks like this guy is trying his best to get inside Singapore. So that's when they flagged me. They took me into the custody. So every airport has kind of prison inside a custody where any illegal immigrant or someone who is a suspect is kept. So that's where I was kept for 24 hours. All my belongings, everything was under their custody, I spent 24 hours along with some suspects, you know, a lot of people who were sex traffickers or illegal immigrants. That was quite an experience. <laughs> but then <laughs> next day, just before my flight to India was uh, released. Can you recall what you felt in that moment? I was scared because I know that how strict Singapore government is. They have very strict laws. They have uh, strict punishments if you're breaking those laws. It was tough for me. The worst was that I could not even inform my parents or relatives about my whereabouts. They had my brother. He came to airport to check if, if I'm there. My parents, they had no idea what's happening with me for next 24 hours. That's scary to go off the radar. I think this is something that my parents sometimes would tell me. If you're changing locations, can you at least inform us? Exactly. And especially if they know in advance that you could be off the radar, that makes sense. But if you're in a place like Singapore and go missing for 24 hours, that's shocking. I once got, well, not deported, but I was taken into a small room in the Philippines because I was working there and I had like a visa. Everything was super legal. There was nothing going on, but you need a stamp if you go out. And I didn't have that stamp because I think the lawyers kind of forgot to do that. So I was super excited going to Bali on my trip to celebrate my birthday with friends. And then I didn't get the stamp and I was trying so hard to get on the flight that they flagged me as well. And they put me in a room and at that point, like Filipinos are the sweetest people in the world, but they were not sweet. Oh my God. 
<laughs> I was so scared. It was in the middle of the night. I had intense fear. It was scary. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we are talking about it because you rightly said that lots of such stories uh, doesn't go under the hashtag digital nomadsman. If you check on Instagram or anywhere, like yeah. people just positive stories of uh, digital nomad porn, I would say on Instagram. Definitely. And also something that I think also is important with digital nomad nightmares, why we want to discuss this topic is obviously there are some sort of unsexy stuff happening, but it's also about being conscious of the local rules of the law of what the consequences are of some of your actions. Because like you said, Singapore is a country that has their rules very well laid out and they follow through. Whereas maybe in some countries you might be able to throw some cash or have puppy eyes. But there are some countries on this planet where it's just not going to work like that. And I think it's important that as a nomad that you're conscious about where you're going, what is the local law, is there anything that you really need to respect to just to make your stay more safe and sound? I think that is there like one more event that happened to you that we can categorize in digital nomad nightmares that would help our listeners being aware of if I go to this country or if I travel in this way, this is what I need to look out for. I would like to share a story about how you should keep in mind that there are some countries where you can't get into by applying for a visa from a third country. You know, most of the places you can, but then there are some countries, depends on your, on your nationality. So rules, again, uh, vary from country to country. Yeah. It's also something that if you're treating this lifestyle as a holiday, you might not face these issues so much because it's more like a short sort of like getaways where you keep working online, whether it's your own business or you're working for an employee on a long term and you really want to do this like the next next 10 years of your life. This is something definitely you need to consider. And it sucks if you don't know where to go next. It also sucks if you stayed your maximum stay. I had friends who were in the US and they had until the last day their flight and then there was a massive storm so they couldn't fly out. So they were literally overstaying their visa in the US, which is something that you don't want to do because you get flagged and you can't re-enter. But they would say there is always a possibility of a storm. And as a traveler, you are responsible to take these things into account. You can't stay until the last day. So that was a tip that they actually gave me like, Nina, if you're going, make sure you don't fly on the very last day of your visa. Because if shit hit the fan, what are you going to do? You can't re-enter. Yeah, a similar thing happened with me. We were in China, me and my wife, and we exceeded our stay over there. We had to use sign languages. I mean, the, it, it was tough to explain them in English. It was quite challenging. We had to uh, involve uh, one of our friends who is into foreign services and that kind of helped. Good to have friends. I think also three people that were very important in your nightmares was your wife and your brother also in Singapore. And then how you call it? In a foreign service. That's really good to have because if you're 100% alone and you don't know anyone in that country where you're either flying to or where you're coming from, like it's pretty scary to not know a soul. Like you really need to either stay in a hostel so you sort of know people there. It's always good to have connections. Right. Here is a tip for aspiring nomads. I would say that it's better to have a ground support. Try to have someone support in case if you in a situation where you lose your passport and belongings, you might not be in a situation to give yourself 30 minutes to just sit down and Google and find out the information you're looking for. Mm -hmm. You might have to outsource that to someone who can 
do it peacefully while you are busy with figuring out what to do next. I love that. This is something that we nomads learn once things uh, go wrong, you know, so it's we learn from our experiences. Yes. Yeah, we live and learn. We really do. Before we finish the episode, do you have one more tip that we can share with people that are currently traveling right now or want to travel very soon? Sure. Another quick tip would be is that don't book the flight tickets when you're sleepy because I, I once booked a flight ticket, was half asleep. And then when I arrived at the airport, I got to know that I'm one year early. You know, it's like... <laughs> I booked a flight for the next year. So yes, I mean, ensure that you're when you're booking a flight ticket, you're completely awake. <laughs> oh my God, I can so relate to this. I once went to the airport in Bali, completely soaked. And I get to the airport and the girl's like, can I see your flight? And I'm like, ma'am, I have my flight here. She's like, no, your flight for today. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you're in Bali right now and you're flying to Manila, to Philippines. But your flight is saying Manila to Bali. I booked it the other way around and I had to book a flight that was three times more expensive than my original flight. It was crazy. It was also around Nyepi time. So it's like a, a traditional holiday. So at one point the airport will close. No one is working. Like no one is there. Like it's done. Like Bali is like not active in those days. It was so scary. <laughs> My story of being almost deported was also during the Nepi time, Bali. Yeah, I, I guess that all nomads who have been to Bali, they will have a Nepi story to share. Like, you know, <laughs> that's something we are not prepared for. Yeah, these these are like just like a feather in your cap. I mean, no matter how much you plan, just it just happens, you know. Just before we end the podcast, I always ask my guests to, to ask me a question as well. Do you have any question? Sure. Nina would love to know from you. You have been nomading around for, for, for a long time. You have been to different places as a nomad. How do you think the, the whole nomad revolution is going to shape up? Like what's going to happen in the next five, 10 years? What's your predictions? First of all, I think that hopefully society will be more accepting this type of lifestyle. But I think that companies, governments, or institutions will become more acceptable about people that are not going to do a traditional life where they stay in their home country. Country. Another thing that will happen is that, and I love this about life, our society is becoming less black and white, rich and poor. You see that people from all over the globe are going into business with each other, having conversations with each other. And I think that we're going to create a more pure version of how life could be. I think we're becoming more accepting of everyone around us. And I think that the digital nomad lifestyle kind of nurtures that. I absolutely agree with you. And I look forward to how things unfold. It's awesome, right? It's epic times. Like, can you imagine? Our parents were busy making babies. We were busy traveling. <laughs> how cool is that? I really want to thank you for being here. I really loved your stories. Also, maybe for anyone who is listening, where can people find you online? So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is uh, Indian Digital Nomad. That's so like straightforward. I love it. <laughs> And you were also helping aspiring nomads with what is it exactly that you help them with? So I run this community called workstays.in where we help people transition from nine to five life to a digital nomad lifestyle. We have been hosting uh, remote boot camps. Every month we host two weeks of boot camp. You can join us by going to our website. Also, you're welcome to just join the community where you know all the aspiring nomads and nomads hang around called community. Cool. I will definitely put it in the show notes on our website. Thank you so much, Nina. I really enjoy the conversation. We need more podcasts where we talk about stories, especially nightmares. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much.